0: Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guests, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender.
1: And welcome to our show. I am so excited about our guest today because we're going to be talking about something that is very near and dear to my heart, which is marketing and entrepreneurship. And we have a real superstar with us today who is so highly thought of in this country. But before I introduce her, I just want to say a couple of things. We have had such great listening support over the past year. And I so much appreciate all of our listeners all across the world, all the email. But I wanted to mention again, it is always impossible for me to read every, you know, read every email I receive on the air, uh, but please don't think I don't try to put all this together because I really appreciate that. So uh, keep those emails coming. Feel free to call in. Um, and I know you'll have a lot of questions, especially following this show, with our guest today because we have a national leader, Carmen Jones who I view as a civil rights leader in this country because I had the great pleasure of meeting her many years ago when we were speaking on a panel together for, you know, youth leadership and young people with disabilities, and she is just so well-known nationally. She is the founder and president of the Solutions Marketing Group. Carmen, welcome to the show.
2: Joyce, thank you so much for having me. Thank well, you for it your is our words.
1: pleasure. It is our pleasure. Maybe Carmen, you can begin first by telling our listeners how you became involved in the world of
2: disability. Sure. Well, I have been a paraplegic for 20 years as a result of an automobile accident my junior year in college. I attended Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia, which is a little historically black college down in the Tidewater area. And during Thanksgiving break, I again was injured in an automobile accident and, you know, I don't. I don't mean to make it sound overly dramatic, but in an instant, my life totally changed, and I was brought into this whole new culture that I uh, knew nothing about. I, I I had seen you know inspirational movies like Brian Song and you know the Jill Kinmont story and all those things, but I really had no personal experience with disability, um, and tried to really put my life back together. I was in the rehab hospital for six months for those of you who understand that type of life before managed care. <laughs> and um, I struggled with how I was going to reenter this small college that was not accessible, How I, if I was going to move back home with my parents in New Jersey. Um, it was just really uncertain and unclear to me. And, you know, I had to try to figure that whole piece out, the future, and then I had to deal with the present and, you know, just um, trying to, rebuild how do I I get a 20-year-old life and think of life long-term as a person with a disability. And I have to say, with the support, the unwavering support of my family, um, with the support from my church community, I was able to at least get a teeny bit of confidence back within myself to return to Hampton less than a year after my automobile accident. Um, As I was preparing to graduate, I, you know, did everything that you do when you're a Business major. I went to the career planning and placement office, and I was signing up for interviews. I had made the dean's list. I did all the extracurricular activities, but I was and I was interviewing, and this was predated the ADA. So really, no one was preparing me for the interview process. Um, I was winging it more or less, and I didn't know what questions were appropriate when an interviewer would ask me things. I had one interviewer ask me. After peru- going thoroughly through my resume, he looked up and said, "So, tell me, can you wiggle your toes? <laughs> uh, I <don't>, you know <laughs> oh. I, what I didn't know then. Um, I definitely know now. And so, uh, as a result, I had 30 first interviews. I had two second interviews, and I had no job offers. And I have to say that was a bit um, disappointing. And my folks, who are very loving and nurturing, they got a little." Uh, assertive with me, and they told me I could not move back home <laughs> to New Jersey. So I was down in the Hampton area, and um, a man named by the name of Ralph Shellman, who was the Executive Director of a Center for Independent Living in Hampton, Virginia, had read an article about me. He contacted the school and asked them to contact me to come in for an interview. My first job after I graduated from college was as an independent living counselor uh at in at this Peninsula Center for Independent Living, and the irony was that I was totally uh, helping people who are assisting people to achieve their goals and I, as I was counseling them, I ended up counseling myself and I, I started to understand this whole world and this whole notion of the disability community, which I resisted becoming a part of quite candidly but I was seeing the light in people's eyes as they would achieve their goals, and you know we're not talking um, maybe huge gold, goals by the world standards, but if you have been someone who never managed your social security income and that was one of the goals was to totally manage it and move out on your own, that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> so um, I started to get really jazzed by watching uh, the the part that I had to play to help someone unlock that door to a whole new world of opportunity wherever they were in that continuum. So that was my first um entree, if you will, into embracing disability in the disability community.
1: Carmen, how many interviews did you say you went on?
2: Oh, thirty. I went on thirty first interviews. I had two second interviews. Yeah. Thirty. Thirty <laughs> yeah. interviews. Yeah.
1: And you had two second interviews. I did. All right, now why I'm pointing this out to our listeners, if, first of all, if Carmen ever speaks anywhere in the United States, go hear her speak. Uh, you can tell what she's like just by being on my show, that she's really polished. Let me just say, if you would meet her, she's an extremely attractive, articulate, professional, well-put-together individual. So the reason that she was not hired... I guarantee you it's because mm-hmm. she was in the
2: wheelchair, definitely. <laughs> they didn't really know what to do with me, and I can guarantee you none of those companies were um probably engaging in sensitivity training as it related to disability. They may have been on the 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 uh, cusp of um, understanding you know minority issues and gender issues, but I can guarantee you that they weren't tackling disability because companies are barely tackling that whole um, aspect of diversity as it relates to disability now. So I know they weren't doing it back in the 80s.
1: And, of course, a minority with a disability, I always call that double jeopardy.
2: Well, Joyce, it's a 3 for really, when you consider the fact I'm a woman as well.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's right. In your case, it is. Yeah. That's the truth. Yeah. Because um, many, many last year over. 30% 30% of the people I hired were minorities with significant disabilities. People always forget that uh, disability does not discriminate. It's across the board.
2: That it is. If
1: you are a person of color and you have a disability, if you're blind or in a wheelchair, whatever it may be, you are facing double problems trying to gain employment, and unfortunately the statistics verify that since that is the highest group of people unemployed people, right. minorities with significant disabilities. So I can see you were up against a lot, and it's amazing that your first job was with an independent living center.
2: Yeah, it is. And I, I have to say that it was, um, you know, destiny, and, and I don't I don't want to sound overly dramatic, but it really was a launching pad for me to understand um the work that I do when I'm when I work well, I'll talk about it a little later. But when I work with a company who's trying to understand um, this market, I'm grateful that I have had the experience to be on the front lines with people who are trying to achieve goals and find um, themselves in an employment situation with a disability-friendly employer. And I'm grateful that I have had that experience because it is really, you know. No, if you're someone who just happens to naturally have the stuff, i you know I'll put that in quotes. If you have the stuff and you become disabled, you you snap back a little easily, more easily. If you're someone who many of my my participants or consumers were people who were told all their lives they could what they couldn't do. So you're, you're battling trying to figure out how do I do all these things that I want to do in light of the fact that I've been told I could not do these things. And so I'm grateful that I've had that experience because I understand. Um, I think I have a, a, a range of, of understanding that hopefully translates to my helping my clients.
1: Yes, I love that saying, if you have the stuff. <laughs> unfortunate, so many of us have the stuff. But then we have these attitudinal barriers and obstacles that you know that we have to deal with. It sounds as if your family uh, was a family that did understand disability.
2: Well, you know, I can't say that they understood disability. I, in looking back, I can say they understood um, what they needed to do to help their. Daughter, their sister, uh, grandchild, get back into life. I, you know, I was pretty depressed, and you know, I, I only on one occasion recall wanting to end my life. But um, I was, I was, you know, five ten. I used to run up the stairs two at a time. I played basketball, field hockey. I ran track. I did all that that extra ex, uh, athletic activity. And I remember the first time I played wheelchair basketball, and I remember going up near the basket, I was in my mind doing a layup as if I was standing, and I was so frustrated with the fact that my body, you know, in a wheelchair just wasn't doing what it needed to do to do a layup as I knew how to do it. And so, you know, wheelchair basketball is not for the faint of heart. I was think I was a little too prissy for it (laughs) because um, those people get a little rough out there. You're but done. i was just i I was just um a little undone with trying to feel com- my body i guess in a nutshell Joyce, my body wasn't comfortable um in this new position, and I was trying to get my mind and my heart to get comfortable with where I was, and so my family just went nurturing support um you know and i can also say my extended family, my cousins, and everyone just tried all that they could do to just Get us, get me back into life. So if that was a vacation, if that was, let's go swimming. Let's figure out how to do this. We really just tried to figure out how do you do things now. So that well, I was... have
1: to say that it is not unusual to feel the way you did when you go through something like this.
2: Yeah. And many
1: people who have acquired a disability or have an accident later in their life go through that time period of not wanting to be here, not wanting to live. Um, But you know what? Things change. They do. That is why I am not an advocate when they say this person has a very significant disability. uh, You know, something terrible happened to them, so here we go with adult euthanasia. Right. Yeah, what they're forgetting is that, of course, people are upset when this happens. But if they have the stuff, as you say, which you definitely do, you know, they learn. I'm still the same person, I'm just in a different body.
2: Well, Joyce, I can say candidly, I didn't think I had the stuff (laughs) back 20 years ago. I I lacked so much confidence, and if I may be so bold, um, my accident really gave me the stuff. (laughs) It made me have to dig deep, it made me have to wrestle with, tough questions it made me have to ask okay God why I mean I had to really let the rubber meet the road in every area of my life and I can say it gave me a a bolder confidence that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I would never have had
1: well with that we're going to go to break for a minute and we'll be right back with a woman who definitely has the stuff now (laughs) And that is Carmen Jones, the founder and president of the Solutions Marketing Group. You're listening to Joyce Bender, the voice of VoiceAmerica.com. We'll be right back. The
3: world leader in Internet talk radio. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. At Vendor Consulting Services
0: Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.BenderOfCanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.BenderConsult.com.
4: I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition and 1 in 10 Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Have
5: you put down the morning paper in disgust
4: because they weren't reporting
5: what you wanted to read? Have you wondered why there aren't more women's voices in the news? Well, so have I, and we're about to change that. This is former Minnesota State Senator Ember Rice-Scott Young. I hope you'll join me for a new radio show every Thursday all about women on the move. We'll look at what's missing in the news, the issues often ignored in mainstream media, like how does Social Security reform really affect women? Why is the Department of Labor proposing to stop collecting workforce data on women? What role will women play in Iraq's new government? We'll create that debate right here. The Ember Reichscott Young Show will have prominent women you know and inspiring women you don't know. We'll share stories of women's leadership, courage, and vision. We just need you to be part of the conversation, so join us for the Ember Reichscott Young Show every Thursday at 1 p.m. Central Time. It's all about you, women on the move, on voiceamerica.com.
3: The world leader in Internet talk, radio. Internet talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender.
0: If you have a question or comment for Joyce or a guest, please call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now back to Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender.
1: Well, welcome back to this show, and a great show it is. We're talking to Carmen Jones, the founder and president of the Solutions Marketing Group and a national civil rights leader for all Americans with disabilities. It seems like a good time, Carmen, to read you a question from one of our listeners in Vermont, Sarah, who says, uh, "Miss Jones, I've read about you. I'm really impressed with what you're doing What do you do when you have a relative who has an accident and is in a wheelchair and believes there is no hope for them? Again, what would you suggest? And what a timely question after our recent conversation.
2: Wow. So what is your answer to Sarah? Well, Sarah, I would tell you, first of all, to offer as much loving support as you can. Um, It's really important that your relative... Know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're there for them, and that nothing that they need is too much for you, or you know the circle of of influence that they have of people who who provide that support. Um, I would also encourage you to do as much as you can to help your relative engage back into the activities that he or she did prior to their accident. Um, it's really important to to really cling on to the things that are familiar. And so for me, um, being around my family, my extended family, I have 13 cousins and, you know, traveling and doing things with them, going to concerts, um, you know, doing things that didn't really cost anything. I, I lived in New Jersey growing up and I returned to New Jersey after rehab and my father and I would just go into New York and sit in Central Park and people watch. And while it felt weird to have him pushing me, I enjoyed being outside. I enjoyed the vibrancy of life going on. Um, so you know I encourage you to do those things. And you know, I would be remiss if I didn't also say, it, you know, no matter where you are in your spiritual beliefs, to try to encourage that person as well spiritually, because I don't know, many people, I, I can say for myself, I wrestled with a lot of those questions, and you know, I was a good person, and how did this happen and all of that, but um, once I I knew that I had to let go of what I wanted or envisioned for my life and see this as an opportunity for something bigger, I began to get excited, nervous, <laughs> but excited at the same time. So, um, as Oprah Winfrey says, God can dream bigger. Vi- God can dream bigger dreams than you can have for yourself, and I totally, completely believe that.
1: And I, and I do too. And Carmen. What year did you have this accident?
2: 1986.
1: Now, well, I had my accident in 1985. And as my listeners know, my accident was caused by misdiagnosis of epilepsy because I had gone to the doctor. He misdiagnosed what was wrong. And in 1985, I was at a movie theater one evening. Uh, and at the intermission, my husband and I went out to get a Diet Coke. And when he went to the men's room, I had a grand mal seizure, and I hit the floor so hard I fractured my skull, had an intracranial brain hemorrhage, broke all the bones in my right ear, and, of course, I was in a coma, rushed to the hospital, and subsequently had life-saving brain surgery. Oh. Um, And then when I finally come to an intensive care, this is when I find out that I had epilepsy, and my rehabilitation was, uh, not as long because I was only in the hospital for two months, but then at home um, I, you know, could not work for several months, more than half a day, because of the, you know, the brain, the shock to the brain, and what it does to the rest of your body. Um, and now, of course, I take Dilantin, and I'm very blessed because I've only had three seizures in the past 20 years. But I, I want to say I had the exact same feeling that Carmen did. Because when this happened to me, here I am. I'm thinking, here I am minding my own business. I'm a good person. There's millions of bad people out there that are far worse than me. Why did this happen to me? Mm-hmm. Why did this happen? First of all, you know, I wake up, I don't have any hair. I've had head shaved. I've had brain surgery. Uh, but then I have to hear, you know, and by the way, you have epilepsy, and we don't know what will happen to you the rest of your life. And I think, Why? Why did this happen to me? Why? Right. But, you know, it's amazing that for that I went through that little time period also where I was angry, angry with God. Why? Why did you let this happen? Um, and then one day I thought, wait a minute. Why am I not saying, thank goodness I'm alive? Yeah. <laughs> it's a miracle I lived through this. Yep. Of course, it is a miracle I lived through it. But, you know... There's a plan. There's always a plan. But I I think it's really important for all listeners to know that it is not unusual to have those feelings.
2: Right. When Carmen
1: was talking, I'm thinking, yeah, that's just how I felt.
2: Yeah.
1: I felt the same way.
2: Well, Joyce, you know, the thing of it is is that when you're in the midst of it, you just can't see that there's a plan. It's only when you get away from the pain of the situation and you start to feel for me the way i describe it is um, just this raw emotion where you just there's nothing that can ha- happen no one can say anything to help cheer you up it's one of those things and i can god has given me a joy and um an excitement and i, I often tell my closest friends i want to i don't want to get to heaven and have any regrets i want to have sucked the marrow out of life. And so I, I had to figure, if this is the way it's going to be, all right, God, you're in charge, and you're going to have to kick these doors open, and I promise I'll go through them. And so that's really, I, I look at my life as an adventure, so I sort of wake up like, okay, now what? <laughs> so um, you just can't see the, the, the path, but even if someone's on Social Security and they're barely making it or they you know are in Section 8 housing, I can assure you that if you get your eyes off of you and you get them onto other things and where you can plug in and make an impact, your situation will change. Your thoughts about your situation will change and your circumstances will begin to change, but you can't move if you're going to be insular and focused solely on yourself.
1: Yes. That that is so true. You have to learn it's not about me.
2: No, nope, it's not about me. Yes.
1: Well, in addition to your spiritual belief and your faith, what helped you to get out of that? Is that what it was that helped you the most to get out of that situation and move forward?
2: I can say yes, but I can also say I have a friend who is a little tough, loving yet firm. I have actually two people in my life that come to mind. One was a classmate. And she was really crushed when I was injured, but she never let me know. And so one day, I was in rehab at the University of Virginia Medical Center. One day, she called me, and she—I was in a pity party, and she said, "Carmen, look outside your window." And I, you know, this was in the winter, and I looked, and I saw people going to class. I saw cars going by. You know, what just typical daily activity. And she said, "What do you see?" I said, "I see people doing stuff. I see them going to class. I see, you know, what I just described." And she said, that's right. You see people living life and they're out there. You have to make a decision to get back in. And that sort of hit me like a pan over the head. Like, yeah, she's right. I can sit here and watch or I can want, I can want to will myself out of this, will and wheel myself out of this hospital to try to get back into my life. I don't know what that looks like. I don't even know what it's going to feel like, but I know staying in this hospital room is not going to happen and not going to cut it. And then I had a mentor um, who really shook me up. Her name was Dr. Greer Wilson. She was the Dean for Student Activities at Hampton, and she was one of those tough women who really um, always had love behind her toughness, but you never knew it until <laughs> um, you got to the other side of a situation. And she came up to see me in the hospital, I was in a striker frame, so I was laying flat and I had these rods drilled into my head. And she told me, she stood over my bed and she said, you, you can't stay here. And I said, well, I just, I'm three days after surgery, I'm a week into this, what are you talking about? And she said, you're coming back to school. And I said, Greer, I can't, I don't see how this is gonna happen. And she said, you're going to get up out of this bed, and if we have to push you back down to Hampton, you're getting out of here. And, I, you know, it was one of those things that I, it was daunting at the time, but it was so necessary because if she had given in and gotten into to the pity party I was in, we would have gotten nowhere. And so unbeknownst to me, my parents were working behind the scenes um, with the school to, to do what was necessary for me to get back to, to Hampton.
1: Oh, that is great when we have friends like that in our life. That really is. And, you know, when people are like that, if you're listening to the show, you may think that sounds harsh, but it's not, because the problem with the disability community that has kept people out of great employment is pity. Yeah. When you pity people, you're saying they're inferior. They're not the same. You know, we don't need pity. We need an equal opportunity. Right. And it's, as I said, it seems harsh at the time, but when people really care about you, they'll, they'll, they'll do what they know is right for you. Right. Now, Carmen, I know that you, I'm sure, have experienced some changes from how people treated you before your accident as the way they treated you after the accident. Did you see that happen?
2: Well, you know, I saw it occur with a, in a few instances, and as I've become um, more knowledgeable about interpersonal dynamics and all of that as it relates to just people and then disability, I know that for many disabilities can be unexpected um, they can be unfamiliar, and I know they can also be unsettling if you've never Interactive with someone who who breathes differently, or walks differently, or sees differently, or communicates, or hears differently um, than what you know we we that what the mass population sees as typical and regular. Um, it can be a little daunting, and so um, now that I have that little bit of insight, I I cut people a little bit of teeny bit of slack. However, I did have a few friends. Well, two come to mind. Um, one friend was okay with how I had changed It was her family members who were not comfortable and when she was getting married, um, she asked me I was supposed to be in the wedding and I discovered from another friend that uh, I was asked not to be in the wedding because her mother didn 't want the pictures to have someone with in a wheelchair in them oh. and that was really um oh. a, a gut punch, you know. <laughs> It was it, it was very hurtful and I uh, it took a while to recover from for that relationship to heal and and for me to get over that because I thought you know I'm just the same but I just you know I, I guess they couldn't handle it and then another situation arose where I had a sorority sister who was quite supportive um, you know cards letters calls. And about a year after my accident, she and I were speaking on the phone and she asked me, so what did the doctor say? And I said, what do you mean? And she, I said, she said, well, are you going to walk again? And I said, no. I, you know, the, I went into all the technical aspects of my spinal cord injury and she said, I, I don't know how I'm going to handle that. That's really weird. I, I just thought you were always going to walk again. And so we just decided to uh, part company.
1: Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. That is. Well, we'll talk more about this and take some questions when we come back. We're talking to Carmen Jones, the founder and president of the Solutions Marketing Group, and you're listening to Joyce Bender on the voice of voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back.
3: Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com At Vendor Consulting Services Incorporated,
0: our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com.
4: I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are 2.5 million Americans with the condition and 1 in 10 Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000.
0: Hello, this is Roy Garay, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the greyhound. Learn about the history of the greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dog. If you own a greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com
3: The world leader in Internet talk radio. radio. You're listening to America's Voice. Voice VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, please call
0: toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender.
1: Welcome back to our show. We have been talking to Carmen Jones, who is the founder and president of the Solutions Marketing Group and a nationally recognized speaker for Americans with Disabilities. And by the way, I'm very proud and excited to tell you she will be speaking at the National Business Leadership Conference in the great city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which will be held November 1st, 2nd and 3rd, with speakers such as Carmen Jones, Andy Imperado, Tony Quello. you just can't miss it. Make sure you get to attend this event. But Carmen, you've been talking about changes and how people treated you differently. Uh, so I have a question for you from Texas, from Larry. And the question is, uh, Ms. Jones, my question for you is I too am in a wheelchair but I have a situation where many of my friends who used to invite me to activities no longer invite me. I found out from one of them that it's because they said it's too involved because I'm in a wheelchair due to the accessibility. I'm wondering what would, what did you do in that type of situation, or were you ever in that type of situation, which, as you know, if you've been listening to our show, she has been in that situation. Carmen, what's your answer to Larry?
2: Well, I guess the first thing I would say, Larry, is invite them out. <laughs> Don't wait for them to invite you, but invite them. And, you know, you do all the legwork ahead of time, no pun intended, um, to f- figure out the accessibility of a venue or, you know, a movie theater or something like that. Um, with regards to what I did, I mean, I, I know that sounded a little direct, but I had to figure that out, that I didn't have to always wait to be invited, but I could also invite. And My mother said something to me very early. She said, you want your friends to be your friends and your caregivers to be your caregivers, which in hindsight was quite wise. Um, While I don't need a personal care attendant, I imagine that if I did, I would rely upon that person to help me with my personal needs and putting my wheelchair in the car and all of that and allowing my friends to really just fulfill that role of friend and um, kind of go with the flow with their comfort level so when they began to feel more comfortable take, dismantling my chair to put it in the trunk then they could do it and I wouldn't need that PCA um, but, you know, I would I would try to take the initiative invite people out, do some research in terms of where you can go that's accessible um, there were a couple instances I remember going to school, sorority dances and I remember I was so uh, emotional I, and because I couldn't get out there. At that time, I wasn't comfortable dancing in my wheelchair. And then I became, you know, I would get a little weepy and cry. And what was very frustrating is I couldn't even go to the bathroom because the bathrooms weren't accessible. So oftentimes I would, you know, get someone to take me back to the dorm or whatever and, uh you know, had to kind of navigate through that sea of emotions. So, um, you know, there will be times that maybe something may be uh a bit, more uh, not, inconvenience isn't the word I want. More of a challenge, but you just try to figure out what you can do to overcome that. And I heard of a woman who was a quadriplegic. She was um, featured on Dateline, and she had a pregnancy. She had a she and her husband. Her, her husband was a paraplegic. She was a quadriplegic, and they had a baby. And the way they viewed their disability was that if there were 10,000 things that could be done and they could only do 9,500 of them, they would enjoy, to the best of their ability, the 9,500. And so that's something that I, I try to adopt. There's things I know I can't do. I can't bound up steps like I used to. But I can figure out the accessible entry <laughs> entrance to getting to where I need to go.
1: Yeah, you can't bound up those steps, however... You are now a very successful nationally known spokesperson and a successful businesswoman. So you maybe can't bond up those steps, but you're sure doing a lot of other things that many people would not accomplish. So I'll give you this opportunity to tell our listeners about your wonderful company, the
2: Solutions Marketing Group. Thank you. Well, um, I started the company in 1999, and it really came to be as a it was an epiphany actually. I was talking to a friend at the time I was working for Evan Kemp Associates in Maryland, and I was speaking with a friend. I had just made a sales call on an insurance company that I was trying to um, sell or pitch to become a part of our cooperative mailer. And it was an untraditional product that would be featured in this marketing package of um, direct mails. That would go to 250,000 households of people with disabilities. And what the thing that struck me was the fact that as a, as a woman, as a person of color, companies were marketing to me but not as a person with a disability and wow, this was an opportunity for mainstream companies to target consumers like me who needed the same products and services as non-disabled people. And so when I decided to leave Eka, um, I, and strike out on my own. You know, it was slow going at first. I cannot tell a lie. I did a lot of local projects. I, I, you know, when you're new into business, you get real flexible with what you can offer. Since I had a marketing background, I did marketing for small nonprofits that focus, you know, that worked with people with disabilities. And my first client was American Express, which isn't a bad first client to have. I'll say. Yeah. And when I, I got that job we did um, an accessibility assessment across the company with, you know, uncovering opportunities to target consumers with disabilities across um Amex's businesses and I worked with Bill and Cheryl Duke of W C Duke Associates on that project. And it really served as a launch pad, um, for additional opportunities. It, it gave me great credibility with companies. And so the company has evolved from being just a advertising agency that targets consumers with, helps companies target consumers with disabilities to really being a full service marketing organization where we, where we work with um, companies via market research, strategic planning. Um, I do a lot of, uh, training. Because so many companies have to really take those first steps to build awareness and get the practical skills they need in dealing with people with disabilities before they can extend messaging. We also do event management, direct mail, web design, um, and really a whole lot of in, in, of in between creative services as well. So our services have evolved as the needs of our clients have evolved. And Joyce, as you know, you you uh, you really want to support your clients in the best manner possible, so if there's something that you can deliver but you personally can't do, you find a partner that can.
1: Isn't that the truth?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so in other words, Carmen, you go to major corporations or agencies, whatever it would be, so you can, A, help them figure out how to market products to the disability community. Correct.
2: Correct. You
1: can do research, market research for them. Correct. Strategic planning. So really you can work for them across the board.
2: That's right. That's right. And when I give a A
1: huge group of people, 54 million Americans with disabilities, you know, a a lot of times people will say, I hear about all this spending power. But, you know, if all these people, a lot of them are unemployed and in poverty, how do they have that spending power? And my answer is twofold. Well, number one, Let's start here. There's 54 million Americans with disabilities. No matter how much they have, they buy something. Right. That's a lot of people. But number two, people forget about the, what I call, the family aspect. Right. In other words, if you have a child with a disability, husband, wife, whatever it is, I assure you, you're going to be more oriented to to purchase something from a company that's disability oriented than a company that is not. Don't you agree with that? Totally. So, totally. you know, there is really a lot of opportunity out there. Uh, Carmen, you mentioned some of your customers, customer, one of your customers, American Express. Who else do you work with?
2: Uh, Darden Restaurants, which is the parent company for Red Lobster, Olive Garden, Bahama Breeze, and Smoky Bones, and their newest concept is called Seasons 52. Also, Sedexo USA, which is a um, food services company that, hospitals and college campuses and companies um, with different uh, uh, dining requirements, uh, America, uh, America Online, ESPN, Bank of America. I've done some work, uh, some speaking at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. Um, a project I'm working on currently, is it's pretty fun with uh, a firm, an ad agency, a Hispanic advertising agency called Al Punto, advertising and they're out in California and one of their clients is the Inland Empire Health Plan which is a small um, nonprofit HMO that serves two counties out in California and Alpunto has done work with IEHP on other projects and they were hired to do work um, for their disability efforts and so they've worked they've asked me to work with them on this and it's pretty it's a lot of fun I'm learning a lot um just from the whole aspect of Hispanic marketing and advertising, so that's been pretty fun. And also I'm working with Fleischman-Hillard, uh, a nas- internationally known PR firm and ad agency, on a project for the Social Security Administration's Ticket to Work program. And so we uh, have vast opportunities to try to permeate these companies and change the cultures.
1: Well, you have... A very impressive customer list, I must say. And we're going to talk more to Carmen Jones as soon as we come back from this break. You're listening to Carmen Jones talking to Joyce Bender on Disability Matters on The Voice of VoiceAmerica.com. We'll be right back.
3: In Internet Talk Radio, you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. At Vendor Consulting Services Incorporated, our
0: mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com.
4: I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are 2.5 million Americans with the condition
0: In today's world, it's hard to find the truth with anything. Is there such a thing as the truth?
5: Where and how can I find it?
0: Will someone just give it to me straight? Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific for Mario's Verdad, an exciting new show that will give it to you straight every time and tackle the truth behind everything from political issues and crime to vocational and career counseling. So log on and tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific on America's Voice, VoiceAmerica.com.
3: The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. If you have a question
0: or comment, please call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joyce Bender.
1: Welcome back to the show. You've been listening to Carmen Jones the founder and president of the Solutions Marketing Group, a successful entrepreneur and nationally known person speaking in behalf of Americans with disabilities and working with the private sector and government agencies. And you know, one thing I wanted to mention, Carmen, um, a lot of times people, when they're talking to people with disabilities, because as you know, only 35% of Americans with significant disabilities who want to work are working, people will frequently suggest, oh, just go into your own business, be an entrepreneur, start up your own company. And, of course, I think that is, you know, a great venue. That's what I do. That's what you do. But I also believe, and I'm sure you know, that it's not that this is a cakewalk. I believe that, you know, there are certain skills you need really to be successful if you want to become an entrepreneur. And as a matter of fact, listeners, I know we've had a lot of email about a show about entrepreneurship, and we are going to have one this fall, and we're going to have Carmen back on when we have that show. But if you could, Carmen, just for a minute, tell our listeners what you think it takes to be successful in your own business.
2: Well, I think, Joyce, the first thing is you have to really have a sense of, confidence and vision in, in your business idea. You know, you can't flim flam. You gotta be able to sell it and you have to believe it. And um if you don't that can be communicated to anybody you're trying to present to or, or try to get to buy your service or product and, you know, the results will manifest for themselves. I also think that you definitely have to have initiative. Um you have to be creative and flexible. You have to have a really thick skin. I mean,
5: <laughs>
2: while I have a, a fairly impressive list of companies that I've worked with, there are many, many, many that I've called upon that I have not worked with. So you have to have a thick skin. Um, you have to be, I think, relational. Uh, you have to build that relationship. My sales cycle can take anywhere from the shortest sales cycle with six weeks from 2 to 2 years so you have to be able to build that relationship and not in a way I don't think where you're a kiss up or anything but you really have to nurture that relationship and for many companies they want to do something with regards to the disability community but they're not quite sure what to do so you have to sort of shepherd them through that process and and help them answer their questions and then they begin to see the potential so oh, I
1: agree with you. You know, when you were saying about that sales cycle,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> I tell people frequently, I say, listen, when you're in the world of disability, whether it be what Carmen does or trying to get people to hire people with disabilities, I remember prior to my accident when I was in business but only in executive search, I remember going to this uh, conference and hearing someone speak who sold jet airplanes and saying, yes, I make a lot of money, but just so you know, I only may sell one jet a year or it takes, you know, two years, you know, to get this together. And so I always tell people, remember that man that said it takes a long time? Believe me, I yeah. can relate. Because you can work with a customer easily for two years before you get it together when you're an entrepreneur.
2: I well, I
1: well, can relate to this.
2: Yeah, and one of the things, I I, I can appreciate your your understanding one of the things i believe in is just timing and so you know what, be it a lawsuit or some sort of a for unfortunate event for the company um, there's sometimes those things that have to fall into place for a, a decision maker to understand we need to do something more with people with disabilities if you look at it you know I, i've studied this Companies didn't begin to move with African Americans until the political heat was applied to them, and they began to understand um the impact when there were boycotts, you know down in the south, when African Americans didn't patronize their businesses. And I'm not suggesting at this time that we do something that's that you know mirrors that exactly. But I think as a, as a consumer block, we have to coalesce and recognize the fact that we have power. That's what every p- purchasing power, and that equates to a voice. And companies, unfortunately, they're, they're going to do the nice-to-do things because it helps them to be a good corporate citizen, but they're not going to voluntarily speak us out unless we require that they do.
1: Yeah, I agree. We have 54 million Americans with disabilities, but unfortunately that is not a united group. No. And if we were, how much power we would have, even in the presidential election, if we could get 10 million of those people united, we would be the number one discussion at every presidential event. But, you know, we just have to continue working to get united. That's what we have to do. We've got to continue work. One great way we can do that is get people registered to vote. You know, you've got to start with the basics, just as Carmen's talking about the civil rights movement uh, of the 60s. You've got to start with the basics so you can move forward from there. Right. But, Carmen, here you are talking to the business world. Here's my question. Why do you think at times they are ignoring this opportunity to market to the disability community, which always amazes me?
2: it amazes me as well but i know when i talk to you i'm preaching to the choir <laughs> um i think they they think of people with disabilities in under the rubric of compliance you know they know what they're required to do uh to comply with the law and the ADA however they don't leverage that and seek out a business opportunity in that compliance and I often find that companies, there are well-meaning people inside these companies. I, I, I've i interacted with many of them. Um, they know they should do something, but frankly, Joyce, they don't know what to do or where to start in turning this whole tide about embracing people with disabilities. I think there's a disability fear factor, candidly. Um, I I had an experience recently where I went to california i took a cab i was trying to take a cab from the airport to the hotel i was paired with the cab driver and the cab driver driver i I instructed him to pull out from the curb so i could transfer to the front seat when i when he did that he got out of the car i transferred in and he was standing up on the sidewalk talking to his colleagues and you know i told him hey man you got to help me take this apart you got to work you got to help me well i could pick up from his his uh, his just his vibe that he was uncomfortable and finally I asked him do you want to make money tonight do you want to you know do you want to provide this service and taking me to the hotel and he admitted he was just straight up uncomfortable and he said I think you'd be better served by going to another cab driver and you know just when I think that we've arrived <laughs> I'm reminded that we have not and so I really think there's a fear factor that we we have to acknowledge as a group and we have to help non-disabled people work through that fear factor. And then lastly, I think there needs to be champions within these companies that are, one of their duties is to really understand and uncover the demographics and psychographics and understanding consumers with disabilities and our purchasing patterns and our key drivers for purchases because until that happens, we're going to continue to remain on the outside. And I think when those champions interact with, um, you know, organizations like NSCIA or AAPD or some others, they'll begin to understand, you know what, these people are just like me. They just, you know, whatever, you name it, they just do this X, Y, Z differently than I do. And that helps to bring about understanding. You know, Joyce, as you said earlier, you know, as an African American, as a minority, and a person with a disability, I, I, I'd I, like to think I have a unique perspective. And, you know, obviously I've been African American longer than I've been disabled. And when I was growing up in the Midwest, um, we moved into a neighborhood where we were the first black family to move in, and the neighbors sent around a petition for us to not move in in the 70s. Um, we had our next-door neighbor that lived, you know, a few hundred feet from us tell us we lived there seven years, they never spoke to us and they told us when we were moving and the moving van was out front that they had wished they had, that we were, you know, didn't fit their stereotype of what they thought black people were like. And uh when they realized that they they expressed some sorrow. And so I think just in trying to interact on a on a basic level with people is where you begin to see the similarities and not the differences.
1: Oh, Carmen, Carmen! But <laughs> I'm ready to go march in a civil rights march talking to you, Carmen. I'm sorry, this has been so great, and we can't wait to have you back, Carmen. Anyone listening to the show, Carmen, what's your website?
2: www.disability-marketing.com disability.marketing.com, com.
1: Disability. Marketing. Com.
2: Dash marketing, like a Dash marketing.
1: Term. Okay. Yep. And Carmen Jones, make sure you get in touch with her. Carmen, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. We always end with a quote from a famous civil rights leader, and today our quote is from the author of the Americans with Disabilities Act, the Honorable Tony Coelho, who says, Work gives us dignity. And isn't that what it's all about? Carmen, thank you. All my listeners, thank you. See you next week. You've been listening to Joyce Bender.